The Holy Gospel according to John in the 11th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it's for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world, but those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus was already, had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, while Mary stayed at home. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where where Martha had met him. And the Jews who were with her in in the house consoling her saw Mary get up quickly and go out. And they followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was A cave and a stone was lying against it, and Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? 
So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I've said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he'd said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. The gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and our minds this morning be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We don't generally think of Jesus as being the kind of person who had friends. We know he had disciples and he had lots of people following him around who wanted healing. He had the crowds too, at least for a while. But we don't think of Jesus dropping by his friend's house for dinner. We assume he was just too busy being the Messiah for that sort of thing. Yet the Bible indicates that Jesus did indeed have close friends. And among them were the sisters Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus. And we know that Jesus ate at their house often, and it seems he stayed with them whenever he was in the town of Bethany. And more significantly, our text tells us that he loved this family. Can you imagine thinking of Jesus not only as the Son of God, as the Savior and Lord, but also as your friend? That's how Jesus thinks of you in John chapter 15, just four chapters away from our text this morning. Jesus is recorded saying, I don't call you servants, but friends. And that's a statement made about all of the followers of Christ, not just Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and the first disciples. You also are the friend of Christ. But what does that mean? Does it mean that you should receive special treatment from the Savior? Will he hurry when he hears you're in trouble because, after all, you're friends? Apparently not. One day when Jesus was out of town, his friend Lazarus became gravely sick. The sisters sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And the response of Jesus to this is fascinating. Though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That isn't what we were expecting. We expect to, the text to say, since Jesus loved them, he hurried back to Bethany. And when preachers get stuck on a passage like this, our tendency is to look up the original Greek text. But a rigid translation of this passage says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Therefore, after hearing Lazarus was sick, he stayed two days longer. That just makes it harder. It claims that it was because Jesus loved his friends so much, he refused to hurry. 
Have you ever noticed that Jesus is never in a hurry in the Gospels? They never depict him running or hustling. This drives me nuts because I'm constantly hustling and figure that Jesus can certainly keep up with me. But Jesus won't be dragged around. Why? Because you're his friend and he loves you too much. But that's not how we want a friend to respond. We want Jesus to hop on the first train back to Bethany. We want a Savior who responds quickly to emergencies, but Jesus doesn't hurry. And so Lazarus dies. Can you imagine what was going on in the home of Mary and Martha as they waited for Jesus? They were so certain that the one who healed people he didn't even know would surely rush to the bedside of the one he loved. Can you imagine their discouragement and confusion when they discover Jesus was going to be too late? Sure you can imagine that. Because you've been there, right? Sometimes life is overwhelming and you could use a little help, so you pray for your relationships to work out or for changes in a job that's taken a turn for the worse or for the healing of someone that you cherish. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But Jesus doesn't come in time. And in spite of your prayers, what you were most afraid of happening happens. Jesus is not Superman who arrives just in the nick of time. Jesus is the Savior who often arrives after the nick of time has come and gone. Nothing in the scriptures indicates that Jesus wants to help you with your plans for life. What he wants is to give you a new life, but we always say, I've worked hard for my life. It's close to being the way I want it to be. All I need from Jesus is just a little bit of help. But if all you want is a little help, you don't want Jesus. Because when you ask Jesus to come, you're not asking for a boost. You're asking for new life, and so he waits. He delays. He lets us rush down one street after another on the crusade du jour until we despair of saving ourselves. But the waiting isn't wasted time. That's when we're making some of the most important choices for our souls. Lent is a six-week period in the church year that culminates in the high drama of Holy Week. The purpose of Lent is to focus all of life upon the calling to follow Jesus Christ, even to the cross, that we may also fully experience this new life of Easter. But the highest drama in this journey that we're partially through now is not with the passion on Good Friday or all the excitement of Easter. The most dramatic moment comes on plain old Saturday between them, after the cross, and before the resurrection. That's where most of life is experienced, or at least where we make our most dramatic choices in life, after Lazarus dies and before you see new life. Will you still believe Jesus is the Savior then? Will you still believe when belief is hard? This is what it means to be the friend of God. Friends choose to love even when they cannot see an instrumental benefit in it. 
The friends of God choose to love even when they don't get what they want, when they want it. We love God because of and in spite of, because of all the blessings that we've received and in spite of all the blessings that we've not received. To love God only because God is useful in granting you the blessings you want is not love at all, and it's awfully weak faith. Strong faith is born out of the heroic choice to continue to love God even when God does not appear so useful. This is what makes us human, gives us honor and dignity. We can even stand beside Job and say, though God might kill me, I will not curse God. You're never more free than when you choose against despair and for the God that you do not understand. When you make the heroic choice to serve and believe in God, when there is no obvious benefit in it for you, when God doesn't come in the nick of time, when it's just God plus nothing, that's when you act like a friend of God. That's when you're ready for new life. And the new life may not look so different from the old one. It doesn't mean that you'll lose everything that you're holding. It may mean that, but not necessarily. The thing that's new about the life that Jesus gives you is that it is his life. The new life isn't a second chance. It's life in Christ. It's life held together only by him. Your relationships, gifts, even the things you've lost and the things that are broken are now held by the Savior who also holds you into communion with God. And this new life can never be lost because it's found in the life of the eternal Son of God. In a new life, you're no longer clutching to things before they're taken away. Instead, you're always receiving life as a grace revealed one day at a time as Christ reveals more and more of himself within you. Now, if you don't understand this, take comfort in knowing that you're not alone. The disciples spent every day with Jesus and were still clueless when he spoke about these things. They started following Jesus because they thought he would save their dreams, but... He just walked away from every opportunity to do that for them, and he kept walking towards places where dreams were crucified. And so the disciples were probably not surprised when, after a couple of days, Jesus announced that they would head back to Bethany. And they first reminded him that the last time they were in that town, people threw rocks at them. So why would we be going there, Jesus? There's no life for us there. And Jesus responded by saying that trying to find life by avoiding loss is like walking in the dark. Sooner or later, you're going to hit something and drop what you're holding anyway. But those who see the light of the world are not afraid. Now, I imagine at this point, the disciples shrugged and said to each other, Oh, another analogy. To this day, the disciples of Christ have never enjoyed analogies and metaphors as much as Jesus did. But finally, Thomas said to the others, let's go that we may die with him. The gospel writers always introduce Thomas to us as Thomas the twin. It's striking that we're never told a thing about his twin. He, she, they could be anyone even you. Don't you relate well to this hardened realist? Couldn't you be Thomas's twin? 
You don't see how any good will come out of your losses, and you don't really understand what it means to have new life in Christ, but that's okay, because we're not asked to understand. We're just asked to follow Thomas and every disciple of Christ to this day and choosing to follow even through the losses of life. New life will still come, even if you don't see how. And that's because Jesus is your friend, even when you're not sure you still want to be his. Amen.